0: One of the things Matt was accurate about is that it has left me less time for my sermon. But hey, great announcements. Thanks, Matt. Like Matt said, my name is Debbie Manning. I'm one of the pastors here at the table. And um, as I was waiting to come on, I was feeling a little teary. And I was thinking, oh, I wonder how this is going to go tonight. Because it's been a couple of crazy days. And the Manning, Schmeezing, Mobergs know that better than anybody. On Friday night, our daughter, Kate, some of you know her, married to Matt's brother, uh, Jordan, they um, were due to have a baby on June 10th. And on Friday night, while Jordan is with a few buddies down at the parlor bar, and Kate's at home with a few girlfriends that had surprised her for a sleepover, one last hurrah before that baby came, about 45 minutes into their time together, um, her water breaks, like gushingly breaks, all over the couch. and. You know they call Jordan, and he runs the mile from Parlor Bar after eating a huge burger, and I apparently almost vomited. Gets in his car, and they call us because we're just a few blocks from there. And so my daughter Annie and I ran over to—I um, don't know why, neither of us knew for sure. If it looked like her water broke, um, and we sat there that that night um, as they were getting ready to go to the hospital, packing a bag. We had a chance to pray over those guys. We were all laughing; no one could believe it. It was so surreal. And I was thinking about um, what a holy moment that ended up being. One of those marking moments in your life. And they ended up going to the hospital that night and because the baby was breached, Kate ended up having a C-section. And um, Benjamin Larson Mobert was born that evening, five pounds, one ounce. And that was a really beautiful defining moment. Little did we know, and I was telling Tammy, I'm kind of glad we didn't know until the next morning. um, When Benjamin was being pulled out, he got stuck. And um, they whisked him away, and Jordan went that way, and Kate's behind the curtain. And they tell the story of how um, they were rubbing, rubbing, rubbing the baby and put a little oxygen mask on trying to get him to fight. And all Kate could hear was the heart rate monitor beeping and Jordan crying. And she said, it was like the Holy Spirit was there because I felt so at peace and the baby ended up being fine and great, but I was thinking about how that little baby, that little Ben has already had a defining moment in his life and surely his parents have because I think a defining moment in our lives are those moments that make us pause. Everything else falls away, right? And we think about, gosh, what's really important in life? Then I got to thinking about that little Ben and all the life he has to live, all the life between our birth and our death, all those marking moments who make us who we are. And I felt very overwhelmed by that. And I think the cool thing about these marking, defining moments, the dividing lines in our lives, that they're not so much about marking time. They're not so much about remembering an event but they are what I said earlier, they make us pause and they make us question our priorities, our values, the things that truly matter to us. Where is it that we invest our time and our money? How is it that we wanna live in this world? Those moments are the moments when life gets really real. I think that's in many ways what today's gospel story is about. We're in the book of john and we're in what people call jesus's farewell discourse it's the evening of the last supper and feeder wash supper is ended the betrayer is left and night comes darkness descends the darkness of jesus's impending death the darkness of not knowing the way the darkness of the world and what i love about this really kind of complicated prayer that we're in is that Jesus doesn't run from it. Jesus doesn't resist it. He offers a completely different way. A way that leads with love and prayer. So chapter 17 in the book of John, that's where we are. The whole chapter is one long prayer. And the first part of that prayer is Jesus praying that um, he would be glorified, and the last part of the prayer is a prayer for the church, the future of the church, that all may be united in love. But the middle part of the prayer, the part we're in tonight, that is a prayer for the disciples. And in that, Jesus talks about what it means and what it will be like for the disciples after he's gone. And this middle part is kinda long and kinda complicated, so I picked a piece of the middle that felt like it was meaningful. But i will tell you this that that first part of the middle part had a lot of given and gave jesus is talking to god and he says i've revealed you to those who gave me to the world they were they were yours you gave them to me everything i know they know you gave to me they knew that i came from you all that i have is yours and all that you have is mine and father protect them By the power of your name because you gave your name to me while I was with them I protected them because you gave me your name so a lot of gave and given and repetition and sort of circular talking but here's where we're going we're in John 17 verse 13 I'm coming to you now but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have full measure of my joy with them. I've given them your word and the world has hated them, for they're not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from all that is evil. They are not of the world as I am not of the world. So sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world for them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified just that peace and I didn't read the whole other part this is a complicated prayer this is no like hey dear God can you help me with this honestly to me it feels a bit rambling and then even a little confusing a little bit hard to understand it moves back and forth and around but here's the bottom line Jesus asked God for three things he asked God to protect the disciples so that they may be one with he and God. And then he asks God, protect the disciples from the evil one. And thirdly, he asks God to sanctify them with the truth. And then Jesus goes on to talk about what God's done, what Jesus has done, what the disciples has done, what the world has done. But this is the part of the prayer that I find interesting. The rest of the prayer is Jesus working through what's happening and it asks us questions of who we are and who we want to be and how we want to live in the world and what we've done and whether our life matters, whether our life makes a difference. There's no right answer to any one of those questions because I think it's an ongoing process of getting clarity and working out our own lives. And part of me wondered if that was happening to Jesus in this passage. Because if you look at the bigger context, if you just look at a few chapters before, it tells us a little bit about where Jesus was. Earlier in John, and 13, Jesus' spirit was troubled. He knew that someone was gonna betray him. And then in 4, chapter 14, Philip asked them, hey, Lord, show us who the Father is and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus is like, hey, you have been hanging out with me this long and you still don't know who I am. I gotta imagine that was a little bit discouraging. And then again in 14, Jesus says, Hey, if you love me, keep my commandments. Was Jesus unsure that that they would do that? And then in 15, the chapter, a couple chapters right before we, or I'm sorry, in 15, Jesus is sure that the world hates him. And then in 16, right before we are, Jesus tells the disciples, Hey, you will abandon me. You will scatter. I think that tells us a lot about where Jesus was in this prayer and it sounds to me like Jesus was trying to get a little clarity in, out of his life figure out figuring out what was going to happen what he had done where he was what was coming next and it sounds to me like it was a defining moment it must have been right he knew what was next and more often, those places in our life, that dividing line in our life, leads us to prayer. It leads us to pleading. And I feel like Jesus' prayer, in some ways, is not unlike prayers that I've prayed before. I don't know about you guys, but there have been moments where I've prayed and I've been repeating myself and asking those hard questions out loud and struggling and wrestling. And haven't we all had those kind of conversations, whether it's with ourselves or a dear friend or with God, We are doing the thinking out loud, the wrestling, the trying to name what's going on in our lives and asking the hard questions. We're trying hard to get clarity and come to terms what is happening within us and around us and sometimes what it, it feels like to us. And we've all come to those defining moments in our lives. Sometimes I they think they're big, sometimes they're small, but I think even the big defining moments, you can look back and see all the moments that led you to this moment. And those defining moments can be things like marriages and divorces and broken relationships. Those defining things can be like birth and loss, job loss, the loss of a loved one. Those moments where everything falls away and and ask you to stop, to pause, and go, what is my life about? What does it all mean? What's happening? What's next? Every single one of us here in this parking lot could look back. We could look back and we could see where those dividing lines in our lives have been. Those places where questions were raised, the choices that we've made, the struggles we've faced. i think what always happens in those defining moments is that we're changed that our lives are changed and it's all those changes upon changes that bring us closer and closer to who jesus is i think those moments frame our lives they frame our lives in this ongoing struggle we have to be authentic to be faithful to be whole but here's the best part of this prayer for me how it spoke to me this time is What I saw when I read that over and over and over again was that Jesus, that it was Jesus standing in solidarity with us in his humanity. I think we see the human Jesus working out his life. And why that resonates with us is because we know what that's like. And so my question for each of us is what is it that you're struggling with? What is it that you're trying to work out? What's the dividing line in your life right now? And what are you doing with it? There are no easy answers But I think the cool thing about this passage is we can actually look at it and see what Jesus didn't do Because what Jesus didn't do is he didn't isolate himself He didn't close himself off from others He doesn't get angry or resentful He doesn't resist He doesn't fight back He doesn't run away or try to escape. He didn't complain. He didn't deny the reality of what was happening. Instead, he faces his life. He's in touch with his humanity. He feels what he feels. He gathers his friends. He prays. And he lives life with a faith that Easter is right on the other side of this moment. So what about us? what will we do when we come to that next defining moment in our life what attitudes or choices behaviors what will bring that def- that'll bring that defining moment that dividing line how will those things help us cross that and i think I think the value of what we just heard about is that we can look to Jesus to see how we navigate those moments in our life. I think the funny thing is that Jesus knows our tendency, our human ordering of life. And it's so often like contrary to God's ordering of life. Because I think... For us we often try to play it safe protect ourselves protect our hearts stay where it's comfortable i think sometimes we run instead of staying in it in god's way sometimes feels a little counterintuitive doesn't it i was thinking about it. it reminds me of when i was first learning to downhill ski and my husband was trying to teach me how to do that and we were on some mountaintop somewhere and why it seemed so high and and uh, up on the top, just straight down. And he kept saying, you have to put, point your skis straight down. Point them straight down. And I just couldn't grasp that. It was just counterintuitive to what felt safe. And I think sometimes that's what God is like. Because I think what God asks us comes with a cost. It asks something of us. It asks us to stay in it. It asks us to trust. It asks, God asks us to own it. To give it everything we've got. So just a little over a week ago, our daughter Annie graduated from medical school and with COVID and restrictions and just all the things that are going on, we, we kind of got to the week and went, wow, this is kind of big, like we should celebrate this, right? And it was just confusing, and it was going to be virtual. And then it wasn't, but only the students couldn't be there. And how do we make sure we're celebrating her and this journey she's been on? And one of the things, as a family, we thought, we want to give her a gift that's meaningful, a gift that reminds her of the journey that she's been on. So we were all out looking at different places just a few days before the graduation, and uh, we landed on it. it would be meaningful to give her something. And she had asked, she wants... To be grounded in her faith through this next four years of residency. So we're looking at jewelry. And we landed on this really beautifully kind of handmade teeny tiny cross and we're like this is cool. This would be great. And as I'm grabbing that and walking to the counter on this display is this beautiful, beautiful hand um made plate, hand painted. And on that plate was a Mary Oliver quote. She's a poet. And it said this, tell me what it is you plan to do with your one wild and precious life. And I literally started weeping because it fit her, it fit her story so beautifully. And I FaceTimed her husband Jake in and showed it to him and he started crying and he just went, that's perfect. I mean, we want to dream of like buying her a plate to hang, but it was just so perfect for this perfect, perfect moment. But the reason it fit her story is that her story was a story in which she fell and got back up. It was a story where she failed and was humbled. There were dark moments. There were defining moments. There were holy moments. There were fears and tears along the way. Here's the thing. At the end of the day, she never ran. She didn't fight. She laid down her life and she stayed in it. Now, I wanna be clear that, and when I asked her if I could talk about it, I'm not talking about this like, oh, Annie graduated medical school. To be honest, the thing to us that has been so amazing that has been a witness to God is the perseverance that she could have only have had as the Holy Spirit nudged her to keep in the game and keep doing it. But here's the beauty of Annie's story. If it hadn't been that journey, she wouldn't be the doctor that she's gonna be today. And she'd be the first one to tell you that she wouldn't have the compassion and the empathy. She wouldn't have the passion for the racial disparity in healthcare here in Minnesota if she hadn't done some of the work she did in those years. She wouldn't have the passion she has for reproductive justice. She wouldn't be who she is this day without the journey she was in on, without the way that she stayed in it Jesus prays in this prayer that our may our joy be made complete may his joy be made complete in us and that joy happens in the midst of this world in the midst of its dangers it happens when we don't run away from the hurts and the hearts but it happens when we stay in the game when we're willing to lay down our life And that's when we become a witness to Jesus. Well, it's not easy to do, right? Jesus didn't pray anywhere in that prayer for ease or that we'd be taken out of the world. He was clear about that. Instead, he prays for our protection in the world. He's telling us to live the amen. And that means to live the truth. The truth of who we are and whose we are. The truth of who God is. That's What he's calling us to do. And he says, clearly, as you have sent me into the world, I sent them into the world. And that's clear. We are sent people. And when you are sent people, that means you go where you're sent and you stay in the game. You stay in the game and you continue to become the person that God calls you to be. You continue to bring the kingdom to earth. Mary Oliver, tell me what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me what is it that you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? As I was finishing this, I was thinking, wow. I hope at the end of my life, I can look back and I can recognize those moments. And I can say, I stayed. I stayed in the moments. I owned them. I gave them everything I've got. Because I think, I think that's what we're called to do. Will you pray with me? Holy and gracious God, we come before you, Lord, and we do struggle. We struggle as we work through our lives, God, and we know that we need you. God, we pray that you would give us your spirit, that you would give us the courage, that you would help us with those defining moments, Lord, that we would stay in those moments, that we would have the courage to take the next step, to do the next thing to be who you are calling us to be, to claim our belovedness, to claim that we belong to you, to claim who you are in this world. Thank you for this community. I thank you that we can be each other's people as we try to figure it out, what it means to follow you. We pray it all in your name, and all God's people said, amen.
1: Thanks, Debbie. As, I, as you were praying just now, I was um, in the very short split-second that I had my eyes open during that prayer. I noticed how dirty these white shoes got. I bought these, what, Lauren, two weeks ago? Twenty dollars, Target, killer deal. They looked great before, not so much now. And, and I was really hoping that I'd be able to keep them white, actually. But what, what Debbie's getting after tonight, in the invitation that Christ extends to that table, is that you probably could keep your shoes white, just don't go outside don't go play with the kids. Don't go for a walk in the woods. Don't, don't, uh, what else do I do? Play catch? Stay inside. The constant invitation from Jesus to his followers, the one that extends to us still to this day, is to dirty up your shoes and sink all the way into your story. What are you going to do with your one precious life? Jesus comes to the end of his The night before he is killed, he is gathered with his friends, friends that he's walked with, friends that he shared stories with, laughed with, ate countless dinners with. Now there's one last dinner and they're sitting together. And in the middle of the table, he reaches for the bread and he picks it up and he looks around and he says, this night isn't like the other nights. He says, this is my body and it's broken for you. In the future, when I'm not here, when you take from this bread, remember me. In the same way, he lifted up the glass that was filled with the wine and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant shed for you. In the future, when you come together to take the bread and drink from the cup, remember me. Remember me. And so we do that every weekend here at the table. If you did not bring your own elements, that is totally fine because we have little, um, we have elements here. It's these things right here. And so as you come and grab those or take yours out, um, can I invite you to stand with me? Um, I want to say these words to you and then we're going to pray this is the body of Christ and it's broken just for you and this is the blood of Christ shed for you remember him and go all the way with the dirty shoes together every week when we do this practice we say the Lord's Prayer together and so will you join me in praying our God who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come